0: I feel like this is almost like 96 hours in a casino kind of vibe to it so <laughs> yeah
1: welcome into the nfl on fox podcast i'm dave hellman and combine week rolls along here actually the The combine itself, the thing that we know it for, actually now finally starts. It's Thursday. NFL teams, coaches, prospects have all been in Indianapolis since Monday at this point. But the good stuff finally starts today. The on-field workouts begin at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis today. It starts with defensive linemen and linebackers going through their position drills. The money day, it's going to be Saturday. That's when all the... All the big dudes go, the quarterbacks, the receivers, the running backs, the sexy positions will all work out, show you what they've got. So if you're around this weekend, Saturday is the day to know if you want to flip on the TV and check it out. We've got so much about that. There's there's so much news coming out of the combine. There's a lot to get to. But in terms of the prospects themselves, we actually have our good buddy Bruce Feldman of The Athletic dropping by today to just kind of give us a primer on what to expect, who's working out, who's not working out, what that means, who might surprise us, who might put up a freaky workout and make themselves some money, all that good stuff coming later in the show with Bruce Feldman. You're going to want to give that a listen. If I don't say it a million times already, going to make sure you subscribe to the show, follow us on social at NFL on Fox Pod all of the good apps that you love so much, you can find us there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We got so much more coverage coming out of the Combine next week. Stuff runs all the way till Sunday. So even next week, I'm sure we'll have some Combine news and information coming out. But for the time being, we're still in the thick of this thing. Coaches, execs still talking in Indianapolis at the same time that all of this draft prep is going on. So. Without further ado, I, I teased, we're going to talk to Bruce Feldman about the actual prospects. Yes, I did say that. So let's get to the news because there's plenty of it coming out of Indianapolis. And the top one I love because we spend so much time scrutinizing NFL players and even and, and coaches as well. It's fun when you get a chance to scrutinize owners. That is the top news right now is that the NFLPA PA. Released its second annual NFL report cards. Basically, if you're not familiar with this, the NFLPA for the last two years, they have polled their members. So the 1,700 some odd active members of the NFL, the players, polled by the NFLPA about various things around their organization, right? Like, how teams treat their players, what they make them pay for, what travel accommodations are like when you go on the road, how is the facility, how's the weight room, how's the cafeteria, how do you treat my family, all that good stuff. And they just let guys vote and and tell them what they thought very honestly. And I love this tweet from J.J. Watt because I've spent a lot of time in NFL locker rooms and I agree with J.J. Players don't always take things super seriously. Like when they vote on those top 100 players lists or when they vote on the pro bowl, there are a lot of players that treat it like a joke. They don't treat this like a joke. They take this very seriously because it is a chance to give honest feedback. And if we're being real, it's a chance to shame your team into changing things about the way, the way it goes inside these buildings. And I, my biggest takeaway Again, we only have two years worth of data. This is only the second time that they've done this. And by the way, you can go to NFLPA.com if you want to see the nitty-gritty of all 32 teams and how well or poorly they did. It's a very fun read. Please go give it a look. But the big thing to me is that shaming NFL owners works. Nothing jumps out to me more than the Arizona Cardinals who moved up five spots this year from 31 overall to 27 overall. NFL owners don't like for it to get out that they're cheap or unwilling to spend or that their facility sucks. So last year, Arizona finishes 31st overall. It comes out that they charge players for dinner. You know, if, if you were after hours at the facility working out and you want a meal, the Cardinals are going to charge you for it. They changed that, and they replaced the flooring in their weight room. So this this stuff does work. And like I said, it's in a league where there's so much scrutiny on the players, the coaches, even the executives, not a lot of opportunity to hold owners accountable. And this feels like one of them. I'm guessing the effects of this are going to continue to be felt. The thing that's getting passed around social media this year is that the LA Chargers, pardon the pun, charge for game day daycare. If you're if you're a Chargers player and you've got to drop your kid off to play a game, the reason you're employed by the team, they charge you $75 per for your first kid and $50 for any kid after that, which, I mean, I get it. NFL players make a lot of money, but that's just a crappy look. Like, literally, your whole job is to be available for those 8 to 10 hours on a Sunday to play the game, and you're going to charge me to watch my kid? And you're an organization that's building a $270 million facility in the LA area. No, it's cheap. And it's also not the type of thing that endears itself to potential free agents. That's the other thing you want to make yourself appealing to guys when they have the, the freedom and the ability to choose where they go. You don't want to be at the bottom of these lists. Miami and Minnesota have been at the top for two years. The word from the NFLPA is that they're in a class of their own. I think stuff like that matters to players. One more thing before we move on: it is worth noting, on-field success doesn't necessarily guarantee you anything in these rankings. I was a little flabbergasted to see the Kansas City Chiefs very predictably voted Andy Reid the best coach in the NFL. The the highest percentage of his players. Love him, which is not surprising. But the Chiefs still finished 31st of 32 in overall polling. Just Ds and Fs all over the place for the Kansas City Chiefs. The NFLPA citing things like the team's failure to overhaul its locker room. Sounds like team owner Clark Hunt promised some renovations and didn't deliver on it. So, yeah, that stuff matters, even if you're racking up Super Bowls. You got to take care of the players or you're going to get a big fat F in the report cards. I love it. I love it. Like I said, it's a rare instance to hold billionaires accountable, even in the smallest way. I think it's good stuff. I hope they keep doing this for a long time to come. Let's keep the news pushing and let's let's keep the Chiefs in the news, which is strange. Usually when you win a Super Bowl, you just kind of disappear into the background. Like February and March is for... The losers, right? It's for everybody that's trying to get better, everybody chasing the champs. But the Kansas City Chiefs are squarely in the news cycle this week. Coming up after the report cards is the news that depending on you who you ask, either Chiefs cornerback Lajarius Sneed has been franchise tagged or he will be franchise tagged soon. It's kind of irrelevant because the Chiefs are making it known right now. He will be tagged if a long-term deal hasn't been agreed to. Sneed, obviously, one of the best cornerbacks in the game last year, one of the sneaky best parts of their team and a big piece of that defense that helped win them that championship. Sneed is now guaranteed a salary of $19.8 million in 2024. But what's more interesting than that is that the Chiefs have granted him permission to seek a trade if he can now, I think that's big news. 27-year-old cornerback, one of the two best available in this year's, or or was available in this year's free agent class, along with Chicago's Jalen Johnson. If you're talking about lockdown, you know, staple cornerstone guys, a guy that you can build a secondary and a defense around. Sneed's just one of two in this year's free agent class. I don't have a hard time believing the Chiefs could fetch. Potentially as much as a first-round pick for this guy's services, the way he's been playing the last couple of years. I'm curious with what Patrick Mahomes costs against their cap, with with aging contracts like Travis Kelsey, with the need to try to find a way to re-sign a guy like Chris Jones. If somebody's willing to bite, maybe the Chiefs are willing to part ways and have that extra draft capital to work with. We'll we'll see where it goes, but Snead either is tagged or will be tagged, and we'll see where it goes from here for one of the best young corners in football. Of course, there's there's two levels to this. Like I said, the Chiefs are all over the news this week because at the same time, this news is coming out. Kansas City announces they've released receiver Marquez Valdez-Scantling. MVS freed up $12 million against their salary cap in the process. A completely unsurprising move. MVS was a hero in the playoffs. He's actually, he's been a hero for the Chiefs in two straight playoffs. but. 21 catches, one touchdown in the regular season last year was tied to, oh, so many missed opportunities. The drop against Philadelphia sticks out in my mind even still. The usage in the regular season does not justify the cap hit. He signed a $30 million contract a couple years ago. So the Chiefs release him. They save $12 million against the cap. And now even with all those problems we just mentioned, they got $17 million in salary cap space and they can still free up even more. Remember, earlier this week, we talked about the salary cap being higher than anybody anticipated at $255 million. With this savings and then some other moves they could do to free up even more space, whether that's restructures or even more releases, it's not out of the realm of possibility the Chiefs could free up enough money to at least attempt to keep both LeJarius Sneed and Chris Jones, the all-pro, all-world defensive tackle. Easier said than done. I don't know if it happens, but the fact that it's even possible is remarkable because I think for weeks we've been saying the Chiefs have got to choose one or the other. One of these guys won't be here in 2024, but now I'm thinking it's at least possible. And man, what a coup that would be for a team that just won its second straight Super Bowl. We'll see where that goes. I can't believe at the end of February we dedicate that much of the show to the Super Bowl champs when there's so many other teams to get to. I mentioned... Bears cornerback Jalen Johnson a minute ago, friend of the podcast, was gracious enough to drop by at the start of the offseason. He's going to be a very rich man one way or the other very soon. Bears general manager Ryan Pohl said on Tuesday, Chicago is in the process of re-signing their all-pro cornerback, and they would prefer not to use the tag, which everybody would prefer not to use the tag. The problem is you only have so much time with which to apply it, and Jalen Johnson has played well enough to be at the top of the cornerback market. So if I'm doing basic math, Ryan Poles has about a week to get a deal done with a guy who's going to be asking for in excess of $20 million a year, if I had to guess, if the tag is worth 19.8. So the, the floor of your salary, if you're a franchise tag player, is 19.8. Yeah, I would assume Jalen Johnson's going to be asking for 20-plus, and you've got about a week to get it done. I'm going to step out on a limb and say, that sounds like a tall order, but either way, much like LeJarius Sneed one way or the other, Jalen Johnson will be in Chicago, either as a tagged player or as an extended player. And he's going to have a lot, a lot of cheese in about a week's time. Like I said, one way or the other, we'll see where that goes as well, but it doesn't sound like either of the top two cornerbacks in this year's free agent class are going anywhere. Same situation, different position, Everything I just said about Jalen Johnson and Lajarius Sneed, you can apply to Colts wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr. Indianapolis general manager Chris Ballard said this week he hopes to re-sign Pittman after his 1,100-yard season in 2023. One more time. They've got until March 5th to get a deal done. If they don't, go ahead and assume the Colts will tag Pittman. I do think he's an interesting case, though. Because, look, this is a league with so many superstar wide receivers, so many guys worthy of big paydays. And I think Pittman, and I think most people would agree with this, Pittman hovers right around the borderline between wide receiver one and wide receiver two. Not a completely dissimilar situation to T. Higgins in Cincinnati where you say, yeah, this guy is really good. Is he as good as a Justin Jefferson a Jamar Chase, a C.D. Lamb, these guys are that, are that are going to command contracts at the very top of the market. The negotiation's going to start at 21.8 million because that's the tag number for a wide receiver. So that's where it starts for Pittman if they tag him. My question is, how much higher is Indianapolis willing to go? That is what we will see here over the next week or even in the months to come if they do wind up having to tag him As usual, my guess is any team that is negotiating right now is they're almost always going to have to use the tag because if you're a player and you know that you are two weeks away from all 32 teams having a chance to bid on you, you would have to get a hell of an offer to want to avoid that, right? Like you want as many people bidding on your services as possible. So I have a feeling all of these guys will wind up tagged eventually We'll see where it all goes. One last bit of news, and that is that the Jets have granted permission to Zach Wilson to seek a trade, the former number two overall pick, the starter and then backup and then starter and then backup. Yeah, you know the whole drill with Zach Wilson. He has permission to seek a trade out of New York. I'm sure a fresh start would be great for him. With all due respect, I wonder what Zach Wilson might be able to command in a trade. You're probably talking about two teams swapping late round picks like, hey, turn our seventh round pick into a sixth round pick and you can have Zach Wilson, et cetera, et cetera. I would like to see him in a new place, especially knowing Aaron Rodgers is coming back. He doesn't have a path to the starting job unless another injury happens. I'd like to see him get a shot somewhere else. Just not sure what somebody else is going to be willing to offer something else to keep an eye on. And I think that's all of our news. It's it's always busy when every team is in Indianapolis just spouting off developments about contracts and everything else. I think we covered just about everything. So now, without further ado, let's get to the actual reason why people go to the Combine. That's this year's crop of rookie prospects that are going to be testing at Lucas Oil Stadium. And who better to talk about rookies, incoming rookies, then somebody that covers the college game and somebody that knows as much about the college game as our buddy, Bruce Feldman. He was gracious enough to check in from Indianapolis about this week's workouts and who we need to know heading into the weekend. All right, Bruce, to start this off, I'll just speak candidly. I'm pretty jealous Uh, personally, as, as somebody who's, who's covered the combine plenty of times, I think it's it's one of the most fun, most useful weeks of the year, particularly from a reporter's perspective. Just uh, the networking you can do, the information that you can glean, whether it's from agents, players, coaches, you name it. I just I think it's incredibly valuable. So I'm I'm curious, from your perspective, what what is this week like, and and as we go through this year's combine week, uh, what are you learning out there in Indianapolis?
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, for as a reporter, it is a great. Uh, time to network. So I red-eyed in here. uh, took a red-eye out of LA Sunday night, got in at like 6am, was able to nap for two hours. And I feel like, I feel like this is almost like 96 hours in a casino kind of vibe to it. So <laughs> yeah. you don't go outside much. There's sky bridges. Like I happened to go outside right before I came in where I guess it was a tornado in the area and it definitely felt like the, like the winds are blowing you all over the place. So um, but you see a lot of people in the sky bridges and around and in bars and restaurants. And um, it's just a, it's a great place to reconnect with people, especially for me, knowing a lot of coaches who were in college or now in the NFL. Um, that's really a big part of why I do this trip every year. And it's hard to schedule things because you're constantly feel like you're late to something. Cause you don't know who you're going to run into, but you know, you're going to run into somebody. And that's kind of how it is. And it's good for me also as a guy who covered college football. You know, you see players that you had covered for a couple of years and now here they're kind of being herded through the process as it is. So it's it's a really interesting dynamic.
1: And I think I I can hear my producers listening to this, too, is it's a weird thing to reconcile because. I mean, the, the idea is to produce content, right? But at the same time, I think a lot of the value of the combine is stuff that maybe won't come to light for weeks or months, or in some cases, maybe even years, just some of these conversations you can have about uh, whether it's strategizing, whether it's about contracts. Uh, I just, I, I think it, it gets undersold a little bit, just the the context you can glean that, that maybe isn't going to be a story this week yeah
0: I agree. and it's so much so, especially in my case, it's really about how strong are the relationships you have. And a lot of that happens where you reconnect with people or you just you know to build build bonds with people maybe you know on the surface, and then you have longer conversations or you know get drinks with. It's just a it's just a much better way. you know, for me as a writer and as a reporter, like these are connections that I can tap into over the course of the year. And so whether the story comes out four days from now or three months from now, or if I'm writing something about, you know, I do a lot of stuff um, for the athletic about covering the draft and and the perspective I can get from people who are in the scouting process or in the coaching process to be able to have them and, and to have that access. That's what's that's what's most valuable to me.
1: So let's jump into this year's actual crop of players. Uh, the, you know, the the workouts are beginning late late in the week. They go through the weekend every position group, all these big name players. But what I want to start with and I don't want to overreact to it too much cuz I think it's it's normal to to hear guys, especially guys at the top of the draft opt out of the workouts and things like that. And that it's a big storyline this week. You know, Caleb Williams QB1 out of USC Drake May out of UNC, Jaden Daniels, the Heisman Trophy winner. None of these guys expected to work out at the combine, but then the thing that makes this extra interesting to me is what we're hearing about Marvin Harrison Jr., the, you know, the all-world receiver out of Ohio State, widely expected to be a top 3, 5 pick. He's not he's not doing the combine, he's maybe not even doing a pro day, and I just wonder like over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, people have, have really embraced the value of the combine. I think people turn up their nose a lot less than they used to about what these drills can do for you. But now I wonder if we're seeing uh, a switch back to the other side where it's like, you know, I, these guys are training for months and months at a time to run a 40 yard dash or or do whatever position specific drill it is. And does it seem like maybe we're just switching back to like, hey, no, let's let's focus on football and not get too wrapped up in what's happening here in Indianapolis?
0: Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot about ultimately, it comes back to what people see on film or what they what they gleam in their meetings individually with players. The other thing that I think is a component of this um also is right now with the technology it is with with GPS tracking data. and you can tell how fast somebody's running, you know, on a play in game or certainly in practice, a lot of those. You know, that's not just on the film. It's quantifiable. And and some of the technology, the way they can manage it and and not spin it, but kind of gauge certain things from it, I think, you know, can be more valuable than how fast somebody is on a straight line for 40 yards. And obviously there are certain tests that different coaches, depending on which position they're talking about, feel are more valuable. I mean, is a 10-yard split more valuable for an offensive lineman than a 40-yard, you know, obviously, but those numbers are still, um, you know, I I think because there's some form of a gauge for somebody to compare it from generation to generation, I don't know how much anybody's going to take off of, like I said, you know, if you have a guard who's running a certain time in the 40, I think there's probably other... Metrics that they would say are more valuable. I think, in terms of the quarterbacks, like, like Marvin Harrison Jr. is interesting. He's been a guy who's been on my freaks list the last couple of years. He's in the top three. Um, You know, whether if he ran 443 as opposed to 439, I don't think anybody looked at him any differently. You know, they've had a nice. lot of people on him. I think people, you know, have also a deep reservoir of. Um, information from that Ohio state position room and the guys who've come from there. So, you know, whether it's Brian Hartline's word on him or Ryan Day's word on him, they have a lot of context compared to Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Terry McClure, you know, like there's a bunch of dudes who come through there. It's not like one of the things you hear a lot in evaluation is how does this coach know what a great one is? If he's never had a great one, but the flip side is when some of these guys have, you know, and they can give you quantified, you know, uh, perspective on it, I think it definitely adds something.
1: Yeah, I would guess uh, I would guess Brian Hartline uh, working at Ohio State knows a thing or two about what a great wide receiver looks like here over the last few years and I think it's it's a valid point too when, when we talk about shifts in attitude I think you're still, you're talking about like the top 1% of players like to your point, Marvin Harrison's going to get drafted in the top 10 no matter what he does barring a catastrophe so I am curious, and, and so many of these guys still do have so much to prove, and you can take it in any direction you want. I mean, I think quarterbacks are going to get a lot of the attention, uh, but even maybe if it's you know this stacked receiver class, is there a player or players that have even more to gain maybe when you consider that some of the biggest names in this draft cycle aren't expected to do a lot on the field?
0: You know, I think my number one freaks list guy here is Chop Robinson from Penn State. And he's a guy who will test exceptionally well. I mean, there's a lot of comparisons physically to Micah Parsons. Um, And going into the year, a lot of people looked at him as a top 15 caliber pick. Whereas coming out of the season, I think there's some some questions. I don't say some doubts, but is he a top? Is he a first round pick? Is he a mid second? Where is he? If he comes into Indy and does what not only he thinks he's going to do, but some of the people who've been around him in the in the, in the the training process over the last couple of weeks who I've talked to think he's going to put absurd numbers, I think he's going to be hard to pass up in the first round. But if he's 6'3", 250, 255, and he's running a 4 and broad jumping 11 feet and vertical jumping 40 inches, guys like that, and there is – There's definitely stuff on film. Consistency is a question mark, but there's definitely stuff on film where you're like, okay, that matches the numbers. Now what happens, uh, you know, like, you know, he could be an impact guy in that way. And I think if he shows that he is, if he proves that he is that special athletically, traits wise, I think he has a chance to really probably jump up from where a lot of people
1: think he may go now. So that's Chop Robinson out of Penn State, if you're not familiar. And that's, I was going to get to it, you've mentioned it a couple of times. If if you're an NFL fan listening to this podcast, I highly encourage you to go check out Bruce's freaks list. It's it is one of the more legendary pieces of content in the football world. Uh, I think maybe particularly in college football, obviously, because that's when you, when you talk about these guys, but it is so incredibly fun at this time of year, when these guys are going to the NFL to go and look back at your list and especially You've noted before, like you've been doing this long enough that you can kind of see these guys progress from, you know, like a, a true freshman that you're hearing about from from coaches and trainers to a guy that's about to be a first round pick. So for starters, before I ask you about some specific players, how has that process been where this is kind of taken on a life of its own, I guess, and and where you're seeing guys over multiple years progress in these in these categories?
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's now it's come on 20 years that I've been doing it. It really has evolved in maybe the last eight years. So I don't know, about seven or eight years ago, I started working as a sideline reporter for Fox and before the games, you know, you're talking to coaches to get prepared for your broadcast and, but the other people who are on the field right before a college game are NFL scouts and a bunch of them over the years would come up to me and talk to me about the freaks list. And it's, it surprised me how, And it was in in the grassroots, you know, but also inside the NFL world. And over time, I realized, you know what, these guys could be really good resources for me. And so I started tapping into them about who were, especially when it came to smaller school, you know, because a lot of the games we're doing, it's, you know, Big Ten, Pac-12, Big 12. But there's a whole other group of of players who end up coming into into the NFL scouting process who maybe aren't just a group of five players, maybe they're FCS players, maybe they're division two players. And a lot of those guys have some Intel on that. And so I really cultivated that aspect of it. And it just really took off in the last few years as, as I would hear from so many people about the first time they've ever heard of these guys was via the freaks list. And a lot of what I get is from, you know, strength and strength coaches and trainers, and you know there was a time where you'd hear so much skepticism about no way this guy's running this and then they go to indy a year later or two years later and they not only would match it some of them would exceed it because now they were training for the shuttle they were training for the broad jump and i think it was kind of eye-opening for a lot of people and for me i certainly knew okay who do I have, but who who's backed it up and who has the biggest track record where there maybe a handful of schools. Where I'm like, okay, those guys aren't, their players are doing impressive, but they're not quite where, you know, they were according to their schools. And it was, you know, so you just definitely have um, a perspective on it from doing it for so long and who you, who you really trust.
1: Okay. So you gave us chop out of Penn state. On the defensive side of the ball, I'd love to just kind of go down the list a little bit and pick your brain about uh, some guys who who could basically who could make some money this week at the NFL combine. So if chop Robinson on the defensive side of the ball, what about an offensive player who could really jump out and who really has a lot to gain this week? You know, I think
0: that when you get into this week, you know, this is such a deep proper receiver. Obviously, we talked about Marvin, Roma Dunze, who has a legit track background when he was a high school, you know, athlete in Las Vegas before he went. Um, I think there's a there's the receiver group is deep. And then I think you get into a lot of guys on the on the defensive side of the ball. But another receiver who I think will be fascinating to watch is Roman Wilson from Michigan. He was the Wolverines by far their top target. He is very explosive, but he's not very big. He's, you know, six feet and 180 some pounds. He had a really strong week of practice at the senior bowl. His shuttle numbers are remarkably fast. And we're going to see if he can match the numbers that uh, Ben Herbert, the Michigan strength coach, not only told me, but he also sent me like a lot of videos of some of the stuff they those guys did in training. Um, he would be, off the charts and how he is timed relative to some of the guys who've come through the combine. Um, the other thing on him is they told me he ran a 3 40, which is obviously blazing fast last off. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it Out of a two point stance. And if you watch the, you know, watch the combine over the years, nobody runs out of a two point stance. They all run out of like, they're, they're down on the ground and ready to burst out. So last year DJ Turner who is a really fast Michigan defensive back ran 428 out of a 2 point stance. He actually went to the combine and ran 426. So I'm not saying that Roman Wilson by the same math will then go 431, but if he ran for, if they had him at 433 out of a 2 point stance, don't be surprised if he ends up in the 42s
1: which I I think it's been six or seven years since we've had a new best time in the 40 yard dash. That'll definitely be something to watch. What about, and I, I think about Jordan Davis, the Georgia defensive tackle. When I asked this question, obviously there was so much intrigue around a guy that big uh, moving the way that he can. Is there, is there somebody like that this year who maybe on Saturday afternoon, I'm going to look at my phone and say, Holy hell, he did What?
0: not quite jordan davis big but watch out for byron murphy from texas he's a 300 pounder i heard he's going to run in the four eights he's really explosive and his film is really good he makes a lot of plays very disruptive um there are certain guys who there's bigger guys who may run on that ballpark but don't be surprised if he's at 480 you know like he's he is that explosive and um again like i said he he's really disruptive too he's just not a
1: big defensive tackle all right put you on the spot a little bit obviously byron murphy texas and roman wilson michigan these are guys that played in the college football playoff they're on on these major programs is there a guy and i'm putting you on the spot because if you knew the answer you could take it to vegas but is there a guy who is way more under the radar uh who might be uh an nfl household name by the time the combine's over
0: Yes. um, This is a, this is Maction. This is from Toledo. Quinion Mitchell, he's a cornerback. He's a really good player and he is, you know, he had four picks in a game and two pick sixes a couple of two years ago. He was on my freaks list is super fast. I was told by the guys training him. Don't be surprised if Quinion Mitchell, who's not a small corner, he's a solid six feet, one ninety five. that he may run in the low four threes. He might even get in the four twos. I mean, he is blazing, blazing fast. And he's also really strong. I mean, for a cornerback to bench 225, 21 times, and that was that was a year ago. I mean, now he's training for the combine. I think he's a guy who will light this up. He has really good film. He's a really good man-to-man corner. Um, the Toledo coaches love him. I I think he will be um Devin Witherspoon blew up last year not so much because of the combo because he wasn't working out but like he was the guy who a lot of buzz came out of because people started talking to people going yeah the Illinois corner was shutting people down this (laughs) this guy I think is like that but he's going to actually work out here and I think he will generate even more buzz
1: Another really good point is the combine is valuable because people like yourself and, and plenty of other reporters, you get into these bars and restaurants with coaches and scouts and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy that's on your mock draft is cool, but this is the guy, this is the guy you need to be talking about. So that's definitely something to watch. All right, Bruce, one last one for you. And I think it's about what I think is maybe the most interesting prospect in this draft. And that is the quarterback of the reigning national champ, Michigan Wolverines, JJ McCarthy, And I just I'm I'm so fascinated by the story here because I mean look the winning speaks for itself the talent speaks for itself but the debate comes in with what Michigan asked of its quarterback last year clearly he was good enough to win a national championship but I also think there's a lot of people that are going to say well I don't know that the tape stacks up with what some of these other prospects have done you're as plugged in as anybody you see as much college football as anybody what do you make of of JJ McCarthy and where he might eventually wind up in this draft
0: i like jj as a first-round quarterback i don't know if he's a top 10 quarterback but the stuff that we've seen from him he's a really good athlete he can really run he throws on the run really well that translates um he's really competitive he is a good leader he has he's a winner you see that like I, i think back to some of my experiences around him we did a lot of michigan games i also you know wrote a lot about michigan and i remembered in the 2022 season, a few weeks before they were going to play Ohio State. Remember, they'd beaten Ohio State once at that point, and it was in a snowy game, and it was in Ann Arbor. And I remember J.J. gave me a quote, which was very confident about what they, you know, how the rivalry had turned, and now that they're, you know, it's going going to keep beating them down kind of thing. And after I got off the phone, I was like, ooh, that's going to be bulletin board material. And I was like, I could see that blowing up in J.J.'s face. Because the game was in Columbus and everybody was like, here comes payback. And last year was a fluke. Well, what happened was Blake Corum was hurt and Donovan Edwards, even though he played and played really well, he was banged up in the game, was playing with the soft cast on his hand. JJ made some big throws and led that team and they won on and won that game going away. And they, they've only built off that. I think, you know, he's younger than some of these quarterbacks, but I think he's, he had to do a lot of stuff that Michigan requires of its quarterback footwork wise. That is not easy for a lot of guys to come in and learn all that they ask their quarterback to do in that offense. And he's really smart. The other thing that, um, you know, will be interesting is from talking to some NFL coaches here in Indy. One concern I got from one of the guys was. You know, they think almost he throws every ball kind of the same where you're wondering, does he layer this? Can he do that? There's like a lot of different pitches that they sometimes want to see. This particular coach was like, I didn't see enough of that. So we'll see where that goes. I after, you know, seeing him for a a couple of years and seeing his development and seeing kind of how he approaches this. I think I think J.J. McCarthy will be a good NFL quarterback. I just don't know if he's going to be a good NFL quarterback if he, you know, a lot, so much depends on what the situation he goes into, sure. but I really like him. And I think there's a lot to like about him, not just athletically, but intangibles wise.
1: I think that's what makes it so interesting too, is assuming he's not the number one or number two overall pick. Now the whole league is, is up for grabs. You know, I mean, any of the Kansas city chiefs, obviously that's where everybody goes. When you talk about Patrick Mahomes and the infrastructure that was around him, it'll be fascinating to see what caliber of team winds up with JJ McCarthy, what caliber of coaching staff. I can't wait to see it, but just the, the range of outcomes make it very interesting for me. We'll see how it plays out. Bruce, I appreciate the time. I know how busy it gets in Indianapolis at combine time. So for you to take the time, uh, I, I deeply appreciate it, man. Have a good rest of your week. My pleasure. You too. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Bruce for stopping by. Thanks for every team in the NFL for peppering us with news to keep the offseason going. That does it for the show. That does it for the week. We will be back on Tuesday to update everything coming out of the combine and whatever other news stories are on the way positive. There will be something. So keep it locked in here. Make sure you're following us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, subscribe to the YouTube channel. You know the drill. We're here all the time. I'll catch y'all next week.